Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. So it's uh, all for play for still? I think so. Do you want to bet against us? Hello, villains, and welcome to For the Love of Paul McGrath podcast. Back again, take a few days off. Needed a few days off without doing any podcasts. It had been a long month of, what month was it, August? It had been a long month of July and a long month of June. So took a few days off podcasting after Villa's great one-all draw against Man City and uh, now feel rested and recuperated and ready to go again. I'm joined tonight by the wonderful Ross of uh, the, the South African uh, Lions Club. Delighted to have Ross on again. Regular watchers of the podcast will uh, will be familiar with Ross and regular watchers of um, Premier League TV in, uh, in out, everywhere outside of the UK and Ireland will probably be familiar with, uh, with Ross as well from his numerous uh, appearances there, but firstly, before we get into talking anything, Aston Villa Ross, how are you and how is everything in, in uh, down in South Africa? Uh, good evening there, Neil. Yeah, things are good this side. With the change of season, it looks like that Aston Villa have also changed the, their leaf over and uh, possibly uh, get into some good form. We stopped the rot against Man City, so I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah, hopefully so. Hopefully, as you said, that they have changed the leaf. And, and uh, I suppose to talk about this Leicester game, I think we're going to have to do a good bit of talking about that Man City game as well. And uh, the fact, I suppose, that we looked in that game to have stumbled upon a formation that kind of suited the players that we had. Or maybe not even the formation, because it was the same formation that we always played. But I think it was probably a positional and tactical layout that kind of suited the players that we had, Ross. Is it fair to say that? And how did you see, how did you feel that the that the the starting 11 that we put out against Manchester City uh, kind of had an impact on how we were able to have a more structured approach. Yeah, well, that's exactly that. When I saw the team sheet come out, I was scratching my head. I was quite confused as to what Stephen Gerrard had done there. you know. But after, I'd say, the first five to ten minutes of the game, I could actually see 
for the first time this season what mm. the team were trying to do and it was coming off quite well. So as you said, it looks like we've stumbled across something that looked like it worked. Um, it's not to say that it could work against every team in the Premier League, but it definitely worked against Man City and it's a really good platform to try and build on. Exactly, for sure. And I think that is the case. I think it is um, that the, after the the great point that we got at the weekend, the point that no one thought we would get, and I think at the end of the season, it's these points that you don't think you're going to get. They only really add up if you go and you beat the teams and get the points that you think you're going to get. But still, we'll celebrate a point, and I don't think it shows any any small-time mentality from that point of view. But uh, I, I, I think what you said there is very, very important that that worked for that game, and it brought a couple of players into the um, into the I suppose the lexicon of where where we want where Gerard wanted us to be, and it brought it brought people more into the what am I trying to say? Into the uh, I'll start again. With what I was going to say there because I can't think <laughs> of English words at the moment. But uh, I think basically we saw a couple of players like Jacob Ramsey and so on, like so on and so forth. They kind of really started their season, is what I was trying to say. Uh, we've kind of really, uh, they've been kind of muddling through games so far. And yes, Ramsey was good against Everton, but I thought he was really, really good in this game. Leon Bailey was really good in this game. Obviously, goal aside, Ollie Watkins was good from minute one to minute ninety, minute minute ninety in this uh, in this game. And uh, yeah, I think that I think that we stumbled upon something with regards to that. But do you think that I think against Leicester, do you think that we're going to have? Uh, that same kind of lineup, or do you think that he kind of regresses back into what he knows best? I think we need to try and switch it up a little bit. We can't be as passive and maybe even as uh, defensive and static against Leicester as we were against Man City. I mean, Leicester are performing quite poorly at the moment, and we don't want to give them any breathing room. We want to continue to pile that misery on. So I would hope to see us go even more attacking this time. Uh, Mm -hmm. As I was saying, that specific tactics and lineup worked against Man City to the T. Might not work against Leicester, but I really want us to try and utilize Bailey more now. It seems mm-hmm. that he's got his fitness back, and I want him to try and start being a more of a 90-minute man under Steven Gerrard. And if we're able to get that right, and maybe even utilize Coutinho and Buendia, or uh, either or within the side with uh, Jacob Ramsey, then we might be able to strike up a really good combination there. But uh, these are just more questions that are going to pop into our minds after seeing how well we did perform against Man City. There's no denying that our players have got talent. Our players are really, really good on paper. It's just, a tr- it's just about trying to fit them into that puzzle piece uh, with Steven Gerrard's team to make it work. I think that's true. I think that is true. Um it's great, actually. I'm, I'm I'm looking at the comments here, and Locks. I haven't seen, I haven't been speaking to Locks. I'd say it could be a year I, uh, since I've been speaking to him. Locks is a Leicester City fan, and uh, I did a, a show. Actually, it was it was on a Leeds, um, on a Leeds YouTube channel for Joe, the Just Joe Football Show, and Locks joined us. And even a year ago, it could even be longer. It could maybe even be eighteen months ago. And Locks was calling for for Brendan Rodgers to go then. He wasn't quite, um enamored by him or enthused by him and uh <laughs> Lox is looking to, to wonder are we going to swap managers this weekend and uh, it's been <laughs> it's been um 
it's been brewing. It's been brewing, and it's been uh, it's been something that people have been talking about. I think uh, in uh, in both circles, you know, would we just do a manager swap and see what happens in the game? Do it beforehand and see what happens in the game. But I think Stephen Gerrard uh, to answer that kind of question. I think obviously if if Rogers loses at the weekend, they might they might pull the trigger on him. Um, there's been a couple of uh, there's been a big trigger pulled today, and we will speak about that in a moment. But uh, I don't. I think that Stephen Gerrard has a small bit of goodwill in the bank from the ownership, and we'll see. I suppose if he can, um, if he can string results together, I think that will will show as to whether they are going to keep him or not. I'm I'm fully on the side that they will pull the trigger when they feel that they absolutely have to. Um, with Stephen Gerrard, like one result doesn't make uh, doesn't make him a genius. All all of a sudden, as I say, winning those points against Man City, they only count if you go and you get points against teams that you might fancy. And look, with no disrespect to Leicester, because we're not exactly uh, halfway up the league either. You know, we kind of want to be beating teams that are in and around us and below us uh, at this moment in time. Um, so it is definitely um, definitely something that we have to do. But I mentioned that. Um, uh, you mentioned there about trying to get Coutinho or maybe Buendia into the team and maybe featuring Bailey a small little bit. I, I think that that's something that he will do. Like I, I genuinely believe that he's going to go out and play the same team that he played against Man City. Um, I don't see any reason for him to, to, to throw a spanner in the works. I think the only change could be, and guess what, for anyone who listens to the podcast has been listening all year, I think Bednarak might come in at centre-half instead of Konza. Yeah. And the reason I think that is that I think that I think they might want to have somebody that's a small, a bit better and a small bit stronger, so that somebody like Ian Acho or Daka doesn't blow past him. Because while in my post-match uh, conversation about about the Man City game, I was pretty critical of of Kanza and how he lost talent, and he did lose talent. But I think at the end of the day, that cross was so good that mm. you could have had. You could have had an, another centre half. You could be playing three in the back there, and you could have had another centre half. I think Haaland was still getting on the end of that cross. It was just so good. But I do think I think he might play Bednarak, um, and I think that that might be the only change that we see, uh, provided that Matty Cash is fit. He goes in it right back. Obviously, if he isn't Ashley Young, uh, slots in there, and that would be an interesting piece that I want to hear from um, from the boss himself uh, with regards to to um, selections and uh, and injuries. Maybe whenever we hear from him, maybe tomorrow, maybe Friday. Yeah, I agree. Uh, that uh, that goal we conceded though against Man City, uh, with Konza losing his man, I was quite disappointed with it though. I think there was only two mm-hmm. players that I was really, really uh, admissible by about, and that was uh, John McGinn and Ezri Konza. Everybody else showed that they could step up to the t- uh, game of mm-hmm. that uh, magnitude, and those two players really let. I think they let themselves down. Uh yeah, I, I thought McGinn was a small bit better. I thought he was a bit more busy, but you know, he has been a man that seems to be playing with the weight of the captain's armband on him so far. Yeah. And and he is like coming into the season, he would have been one of the three or four players that people would have been talking about as one of those kind of marquee players for Aston Villa from the point of view of you know, he's he's an established player within the team. He should be getting better within this team. And whether it is a tactic or whether it's a Steven Gerrard tactic or whether he feels he has to has to do everything at 90 miles an hour now that he's the captain's armband. His regression started at times last season. He finished the season really well, but he hasn't started this season really well um, so far. And, you know, we're, we're obviously not digging him out because he is like it's only six or seven uh, short months ago that we're all talking about we wanted him 
to play in the Jamba Ginn for Scotland position. Uh, yes. So there's definitely, uh, like, he, he, is a, he is a very, very good player. And I still, to this day, think that if Villa made him available on transfer deadline day, never mind the Douglas Louises of this world, I think all those teams that were in for Douglas Louise would have been in for John McGinn and would have bid whatever we wanted for him because I think yeah. that uh, I think that teams value him, value his effort quite highly, albeit at the moment he can't seem to pass his way out of a paper bag. Um, he's not very good at, uh, at passing the ball at the minute. But I still think that he starts at the weekend. I know some people here will say that he won't. I think that the shot across his bow was bringing him off at, what, 72 minutes or something like that against City. I think that was the shot across his bow to kind of let him know that, okay, we can't just carry you because you are captain, specifically in big games like this where we have an opportunity to potentially get a draw or maybe more um, within the game. So uh, while I wouldn't be blown away if somebody like the Dunker came in there and played for him, I just don't think it's going to happen yet. And I think the Donker will be a slower integration into this team than Bednarak. And I, but, I, but I think Bednarak starts uh, at, at centre-half this, this weekend. Um, I, think, I think it just makes sense to, to start him there as well, um, for sure. Um, let's take a look at some of the comments here before we kind of move on. And we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, I think, more things, kind of Premier League in a moment. Because uh, with this game at the weekend, there is, the connotation is obviously that Brenda Rogers is going to get the sack. Actually, Locks, I don't know if you've got me. If you're if if you want to DM me on Twitter, I'll send you the the link for this. If you've got five minutes and you want to come on and talk about Leicester and about Brendan Rogers and give us your feelings, if you want to DM me on Twitter, man, I've got my DMs open. You can give me a shout. And uh, I don't know if you've got five minutes free, do and we'll get we'll get you on. If not, we'll continue to bumble on here uh, for sure. But um. So I suppose looking at the at the at the, the 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 kind of landscape of the Premier League at the moment, we've obviously had a big sacking today, and that's why I bring up the Rogers Rogers piece here, um, because there is potential for um there is potential for for Rogers to be sacked at the at the weekend if things don't go Leicester's way. But we've obviously had Thomas Tuchel who sacked today, and then there was a lot of clamor. And first thing, like literally, my Twitter went nuts. DMs, my WhatsApp with nuts going, damn it, that's Poch gone off the market now. And then all of a sudden it came out 15, 20 minutes later that, whoa, Chelsea want to build something. They want to get a coach in here. They don't want to get a manager. They want to get a big name. They want to get a, or sorry, when I say a big name, I mean a, a flashing lights name. They want to get a manager, manager who's proved he can be a manager and a coach and they want somebody to be here for the long term. And then that's... um. That that's kind of brought brought up the the name of Graham Potter, and uh, it looks like now Graham Potter is going to be in situ probably as early as as tea time tomorrow, and he'll be in the dugout most likely for the Fulham game at the weekend, um, which is an absolutely monumental turnaround because Chelsea just went away and paid the sixteen million release fee for him. Talk to me, number one, I suppose, Ross and Thomas Tuchel. What your views are on him and 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 maybe because I don't think I've really formulated a fully formulated a, a, an opinion on him. He's obviously a good, a good mind, a good footballing mind. He's had some fantastic gigs in the footballing world. And I don't think that any team could turn their nose up at him. But as the person, I suppose, what we've seen of him over the last few weeks, whether it be the Conte kind of, uh, the Conte scrap on the sideline or whatever, or maybe the team's just general aggression. How do you feel that, that I suppose, that he's, his tenure has kind of fizzled out the way that it has? I'm surprised. I honestly am. And there's a lot of Chelsea fans that I know that I'm good friends with that are equally as surprised and disappointing, uh, disappointed with uh, that decision. 
Thomas Tuchel had his 100th game in management for Chelsea in the Champions League where they lost 1-0. Over those 100 games, he's sitting at a win percentage rate of 60%. That's mm. staggering. That's incredibly high for a manager like that. Uh, I think he was sitting and on the second. Been that too. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, he's been in some high-profile jobs. He's managed high-profile players. Uh, you think about at Dortmund and his PSG de- uh, days as well. So he's not he's not a Mickey Mouse coach. He's somebody who knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. I think this might just have been uh, an impulsive decision from the new Chelsea owners trying to stamp their authority onto the club. Uh, we've seen that with how they've got rid of all the backroom staff and senior management that was under the Abramovich era. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's just my speculation. I also don't understand why they would have paid. Uh, I think they broke the single transfer window uh, record and they bought all of these players, all these right. money, uh, big money signings that you could even deem as champagne players, players that were seen as unnecessary to them and they've overpaid for most of them, I think if you look at Fofana, seventy-five million for Fofana was an that's a staggering I, amount. I think that that's going to be worth it. I think he could end up being the best defender in the world in the next two years. I think they've. I think that's probably the only one I kind of agree with them spending on. To be honest with you, um, I would have taken Werner off their hands for thirty-two million as well. By the way, yeah. and I'm expecting the comments to go nuts at that one because I think Timo Werner was completely hung out to dry at uh, at Chelsea. But sorry, I t- go on there. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, so I was watching that Chelsea game last night in the Champions League, and it looks so flat. I mean, I I can't predict how Fofana is going to develop in the next three to five years, but I know that he was pretty much at fault for that Chelsea goal. He let his marker run straight past him, and I know he's still trying to get back to full fitness after he had suffered a, mm-hmm. uh, from what I understand, a horrendous in- uh, injury when he was uh, at Leicester. Uh, so maybe it's just a signing for the future. But then if you also think about the signing that they made from us with uh, Connie Trapumeka, or as I call him, Trapumani Adam. <laughs> uh, 20 million for him, and they still think that he's supposed to be the best under-18 centre mid in the country. And, I mean, their, their whole analysis of their signings and how they've gone about the, their scouting and, and, and just their work in general is, is very unorthodox from Chelsea's standards. So I think that they're in a bit of a uh, rebuilding situation at the club and the owners could be looking to try and just stamp their authenticity onto the club. Uh, and whoever comes into the Chelsea job next, whether it's Graham Potter or Pochettino, they're going to have some incredible talent there to work with. I just feel that it was probably a decision they've taken a bit too early. I mean, he is, uh, Thomas Tuchel is a really good manager and he's, He's demonstrated his skills at Chelsea and also the other clubs he's been at. So I think whoever does walk into that Chelsea job will be an incredibly lucky manager and won't need to spend any more money for the near future. Yeah, the one of the big things is I think that I, I was just reading before we came on that Potter was, and I like this, I like this moxie from Potter. 
I like the balls that he took because, like, this could be his chance to have his biggest job. He's like, like, call it as it is, this could be his biggest job in, in football. Um, going straight to Chelsea out of Brighton, done a fantastic job at Brighton, but proved that he could be a coach's coach and, and actually set a team up right um, at Brighton. But what I think what, the biggest thing that he said was, I'm not going anywhere unless I can bring my, my recruitment guy with me. Now, mm. Chelsea, as you say, they may not spend as, as much money. They may spend more. Chelsea were on the hook. If the, every player that they wanted to sign, and I know, if, I know for a fact they wanted to sign Ibrahim Sangare as well, and another wanted to sign Ed, Edson Alvarez, and they wanted to sign um, uh, Gavidal and loan him back. If they had signed every player they wanted to sign, they would have spent close on half a billion euros in this transfer window. Half a billion. Half a billion. It's mental money. It's like, like that is absolutely insane money for one transfer window. So that means the money is there, number one. But also, they obviously have some sort of uh, transfer uh, transfer committee there or whatever, some transfer team calling the shots there with regards to that. Potter would have known that. And Potter comes in and says, no, 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 no. My guy is after pulling gems out of every corner of this arc. See Moses Casado. See, yeah. uh, see, see, uh, um, man McAllister, Alexis McAllister. See the left back that they signed. Uh, the, is it Ecuadorian left back? See, yes, uh, Spanish Bob and goals. You know, all these guys. He goes, no, 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 no. I'm not going anywhere unless my recruitment guy comes because you can flog, you can go away and spend five hundred million all you want, but you're going to need these guys as well when you need them. I'm going to trust my guy to find them, and I think that that's a you know he's going to get what he wants. If they're going to pay pay sixteen million of a release fee for him, they're going to pay whatever release fee it is for a transfer guy or for a backroom team. So, but I think I think that's he understands what makes him as in as in Potter. And and we'll know probably by early tomorrow whether he's going to be the man that's going to take up the job or not. And I would imagine that it's so far down the line now that it's just a, 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 a case of uh, confirming it now, I would imagine. Um, but with, with that happening, and obviously Graham Potter would have been some, somebody that a lot of Aston Villa fans would have spoken about. Um, and as I say, the meltdown that happened about, oh, Pochettino isn't coming to Aston Villa. Um, David Ornstein today intimated that Pochettino would be interested in the project at Aston Villa. And I think that that's, I think us Aston Villa fans, we kind of get caught in a bubble of our own at times to say things are shite, things are going bad, things are going awful. But I think from the outside looking in, that people are looking at us and going, this is a team of internationals. This is a team that have international players that are are a decent age. And they're at a prime age. And if I can come in and get a song out of these guys and maybe push the top the top half first in my first season, then push into the top six, like like Steven Gerrard thought he could do. But I'm talking about managers who have proven to a small bit more than Gerrard in his in his tenure. I think that that's still there. Now, Ornstein did, which is which hasn't been reported by anyone. Ornstein did did specifically say in no uncertain terms as well. I am not linking him. I have no idea as to whether he is interested. I just think it could interest him because it's a very good project to have at Aston Villa. And he's sung Aston Villa's praises. He sung Wes Eden's praises, Nassif Sawira's praises. So all the sound bites were, I think that he could be interested in this. But 30 seconds later, he says, I have no knowledge on this and I'm not linking him to the club. So that was conveniently let out. But what I'm getting at here, Ross, is Pochettino, Yes or no from you, if it was to happen. And as I say, we're not going to, we're not casting aspersions. Stephen Gerrard could go in and win his next four games in a row and we won't be having these conversations anymore. But because it came yeah. up in conversation today, we're just discussing it. But a yes or no for you. 
I'll answer your question this way. <laughs> <laughs> this is how I'll answer your question. Uh, my opinions on Pochettino is very high. I rate him highly, especially for the job that he did at Tottenham. He took Tottenham from a team that was struggling in the middle of the table. I wouldn't say struggling, but they were struggling to break Europe. This was before the Conference League times. And he took them from a team that was struggling to break into Europe, especially the Champions League, and he propelled them to the Champions League final. A manager like that has to be respected and noted. Uh, I don't know why he hasn't cracked it at PSG when he was there. Perhaps just the mm-hmm. personalities for him were too big to handle. Uh, but Pochettino is one of those managers that he's a transition manager. That's basically how I put him. He'll be a manager that can take your club from uh, one standard to another. So if Villa are a mid-table team, I think he could take us or a team like us to a team that's challenging for Europe uh, and realistically challenging for Europe. And not to say Gerard might not be able to do that. I mean, we haven't seen one full season of him. He's only had, mm-hmm. I think this is the second transfer window. And people are saying, I need to get out, get, give him the sack. Realistically, that that's not enough time. It's not enough time for him to work with the squad and try and implement his own tactics. And yes, I know that he went away to Australia and he's had all of these plans and he's and whatever else has gone on, we've we've had this conversation before, and I know that you've touched on it many times in your podcast. So I'm not going to revisit that uh, that old book. <laughs> but I would have Pochettino if we didn't have Gerard. That's <laughs> short and sweet. <laughs> yeah, and, and like I think the big thing is like I think that Gerard could. I I think the board could justifiably sack Gerard in the morning for some of the for some of the bad runs that we've had. If they're going to play, if they're going to utilize the same standard that they did with Dean Smith and the fact that ooh hasn't been good enough for though, five or Neil? six months and stuff, but yeah, would we though? I, I want to know your opinion on that. Would we though? Because I think the difference between Dean Smith and Gerard was Dean Smith had about three years with us, mm-hmm. and yes, he had the continuous improvements. Um, uh, it was shown when he took us from the championship to uh, promotion to the Premier League and obviously kept us up as well in the Premier League. Do you actually think that he's going to, Stephen Gerrard would get sacked before the World Cup, especially with the time frame that he's only been able to manage compared to Dean Smith? Uh, yeah, I do think that they, they would sack him. I think that they would have grounds to sack him. I think that they would because like five game losing streaks for me is is what, what done in Dean Smith as well. And yeah. if Gerard is going to have those five-game losing streaks and have more more continuous losing streaks, should I say, than, than Dean Smith did, you know, and showing this ability not to be able to stop the rot and, you know, if the fans yeah. are, fans were not getting behind him and the tactics just didn't look right, um, I think that they, would have been, that they would be justified to sack him. But I think that also it, the next four games hold a big key for him because I think if you go and you sack him now after the transfer window, you might get a bounce from it from us, but I think yeah. I don't see there. I, I don't think that there's anything to be lost by giving him this game, giving him Southampton, see what happens, and see if he can string three results together. Um, but I think that he's very much on borrowed time. And the next time he goes in a four or five game losing streak, I think that he could be packing his bags for sure. And I think Pochettino, any Aston Villa fan that doesn't want Pochettino is absolutely insanely nuts because yeah. he's ab- he's obviously a very very good manager. There's loads of good managers out there at the moment. There's loads of good managers. There's Hargis and Pauli is out there at the moment. Uh, managed um, Marseille up until up until this season. There's uh, there's, there's there's tons. You, you you can I can't think of any off the top of my head now. 
Uh, but there are there's quite a lot of lot of managers out there that that um would be well capable of taking Aston Villa and molding them as well. Should we should we look for a new manager? So the one thing that I kind of always kind of sit back and and sometimes it annoys me as well is that the group thing happens and everybody goes well if it isn't this guy that comes in then we all have to be really angry because it can only be this guy. It's the only guy that can that can fix the issues for us. But there's probably about twenty guys out there that can fix issues within within a team within any team. And look, we'll see. We'll see what happens. As I say, we're not writing his obituary just yet from the Aston Villa uh, dugout. But um, this weekend will tell an awful lot, and uh, and so will the weekend after. I think against Southampton too. A um, couple of comments there, guys. Let's have a little look at some of the comments there because we've gone all uh, all philosophical and weird here in this one. But um, really random view says Tuchel was acting weird and out of character and making weird excuses last night. Said I can't argue. Um, he lost something. Yeah, I think he's been acting a small bit out of character. I think he hasn't been really happy with, um, with with stuff recently, and you could just see that he was a bit agitated as well. Um, so uh, so that 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 did come across, and also he probably I think the Conte thing got to him too as well. Um, yeah. So Jake Aston Villa says it's a dangerous job for the Chelsea owners to play just because they have money doesn't mean success is guaranteed. Yeah, I think you could label that at 90% of the clubs outside of Manchester City at the minute. Um, uh, but uh, at us, I suppose you could you could label that at us as well at times. Um, but I think money money doesn't guarantee success, but it, uh, it allows you to fail more often than a team that doesn't have money. And still have uh, a few extra bullets in the back of the the chamber to be able to to take more shots. I think, um. So uh, I'd prefer to be looking at it than looking for it in a money point of view for sure. Uh, Steve Bruce to Chelsea. I can get on board with that. I could get on board with that Biff for sure. I absolutely could. Oh my God. Um, yeah. So a couple of things there. Um, AVFC US says he looks skeletonized. Yeah, I th- I actually think Tuchel hasn't been looking well recently. I, I I genuinely not saying not just saying that, but he does. He looks a bit more gaunt than normal, and I hope everything is okay with him, you know, and mm. uh, and so on, because you never want to see that as well. Um, Herelio Gomez says, should there be a transfer window for managers? If you had asked me this three or four years ago, I would have said absolutely yes, one hundred percent yes. I would have said because it can really derail a club season if you lose a manager in the middle of the season just because a team with more money decides they want to sack their guy. But now I'm of the opinion that. Um, I'm not even sure that the transfer window for players is a great idea. I, ha- I don't know what side I come down on it, but uh, for managers, um, I think you would have to resign yourself to relegation. Uh, put it this way: if your transfer window is for managers, I think you could be resigning team. There could be teams there that are resigning themselves to yep. relegation in October or November because they won't they won't be able to make any changes to to uh, to get people over the board. So it's an interesting concept, really, a very interesting concept. And I'd love to get a group of people a lot more intelligent than me to sit down and have a conversation on that because I think that I, my mind is very open to change on anything with regards to transfer windows, whether it be players or managers, um, for sure, um. Do, do, do every prime age. Oh, that's what, what I was saying. The guys were were prime age. I kind of meant that they were they're at an age now where they can compete. Um, and I like I think a lot of players, a lot of a lot of fans, kind of get it, get it into their head that when someone turns thirty, that they're they're on the way down. And yes, there will be. But what I like, if you think that a manager has a two year or a three year shelf life, if we've got players that are anywhere between twenty six and thirty at the moment. Well, those three years are really going to get them over, 
get them through the managerial shelf life. And you're going to need, no matter what time you come in here, you're going to need to have that success. And that's what I mean, that we've got experienced players who can come in and, and should be able to hit the ground running, should be moldable and should have gone through lots of managerial changes and should be able to hit the ground running if a new manager does come in. That's kind of what I meant by it, because I think you go on to, to list a couple of players' ages, like Coutinho being 13, Mings and Carlos, and Dinho being 29. 29, 29 isn't, isn't that old. Oh, yeah. Isn't that old anymore, I don't yeah. think. Uh, I do agree with you, Coutinho being 30 um, Ings being 30 specifically those two guys with a lot of injuries I think you, yeah. put, you put it into the context of if people who've had lots of injuries and their age you probably take that into context and so on as well but valid point but I suppose I just clarify what I meant is that you know he's not coming into a team with a load of 22, 23, 24 year olds whereby change of managers can really affect them and they might have had a manager for Dean Smith for two or three years previous to that and then Stephen Gerrard comes in and you know, the consistent chop and change of manager can sometimes affect the younger player as well. Um, yeah, you must, to, you must invite us to uh, his birthday when he turns 30 so we can chant, you're past the prime age, man. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, we'll see. I'm, but I'm 37. I'm, I'm still I'm still able to tag out in the Premier League now if Ashley Young is doing it. So um, I'm yeah. looking for a contract. I'm open for a contract. <laughs> if anybody needs a holding midfielder, um, they can just give me a shout there in the Premier League. Absolutely. Wait a minute. <laughs> Why didn't I get a phone call from Johan Lange? I'm trying to think Because <laughs> we didn't really... sell Douglas, that's why. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, breaking news. I can now finally tell you guys, if Douglas Luis had moved, I would have been his replacement. Um, <laughs> where else are we? Um, and I don't agree with this either. Just that you've said they become injury prone at 30. I don't think that they do. I don't think that there's any... Um, I'd like to see some evidence of that. I'd like to see some evidence. Obviously, you're going to you're going to pick up niggles as you grow older, but I don't know if you become injury prone at thirty. But uh, I'm open to correction on that. I'm open to correction on it. Uh, there's a lot of players who've played past thirty and have not not had bad injury records either. Um, so uh, let's take a look. Is there any more comments there? So Biff is traveling over to Southampton game next week with his son for, the, for his first game. Excellent, Biff. I nice. hope they absolutely smash it up. Friday night lights as well. Another game I was supposed to be going over to, but thought better of it and, and had to cancel my my uh, my tickets and my appearance at that game. But I hope you enjoy it, Biff. It's going to be a cracker, I think. And I just wanted to go over and uh, and uh, see the Friday night lights effect. Uh, it would have been nice. Um it would have been nice, but uh, look, I'm sure there'll be one next season. Next season, we won't be able to get to. Uh, that'd be great, guys. We've been on for about 31 minutes. I told Ross that I'd have him out of here with the time difference and everything in South Africa. I'd, I'd have him out of here before eight o'clock. So I think that's really going to do it. Ross, you don't have anything else you want to go through before the before we um before we we wrap it yeah, up. There's a couple of things, uh, but we'll touch on it very quickly. Uh, with regards to this Leicester game, how do you think? Uh, we would line up. Do you think that there'll besides Bednarek, do you think that there'll be any other surprise inclusions and to the no. side? No, I think I think he goes. I think Gerard knows. Gerard said after the Arsenal game he was under pressure, and I think Gerard still knows that he he needs to get results against teams that are around us and maybe below us. And I think that um, I think that that Gerard goes with that team. Uh, once again, we have to remember here. There's there is an expectancy amongst the fan base to go and beat Leicester because Leicester is bottom of the table. Definitely. We aren't really pulling up trees in the goal scoring department ourselves. We need to start showing that we can score goals. For me to be confident that we can go away to a team who are on their uppers, like um, like Leicester are, and beat them, 
And I think mm-hmm. that Gerard knows that as well. And if he's learned anything from the last year that he's had, almost year that he's had in, in, in situ in the in the role, I think he'll go and he'll play it safe. And if he gets another draw against Leicester, it's not the end of the world. Then he comes back in the home game against Southampton and gets a win. He can spin it that he's five points out of nine and and so on. And I think I think that there's going to be a bit of a bit of that over the next few games. And some people might say that it might be limping towards holding on to Gerard as from the board, but I'm of the opinion that points gained for Aston Villa, regardless of who's in the regardless of who's in the dugout, is a positive thing for me. Um, I think we're completely capable of beating Leicester. I think we absolutely are. Yeah. But um, as I say, it's an away game, and we're not exactly putting up trees even in the attacking point of part of the field. Albeit we did look a small bit more um, more structured in the defensive part of the field. So I think he goes with what he played. Um, at the weekend, maybe brings Bednarek in there to offer a small bit more height and a small bit uh, and, and and similar mobility, and we see what happens from that point. That's what I think happens. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. I think uh, the way this game can turn out in terms of the tactics and uh, formation points of view is either, as you say, we stick to the same formation and tactics that we played against Man City, where Guinea and Cash or Ashley Young, whoever does play, don't um, maraud forward and actually sit back and we end up hitting the teams on counter-attack, or it looks like he might revert to his old tactic, or his original one, where he likes having those overlapping fullbacks. Uh, so I think this game will be the catalyst on how the rest of our season will go. Because if he does stick to the the, the tactic and formation that he played against City, I think that'll be the number one go-to for the rest of the season. Mm. And if he switches it back, then we have more questions than answers. <laughs> exactly. And I, that's what I don't want to come from this, whereby the, the weekend is a flash in the pan and we do have more questions than answers from that weekend. Because at the moment, it seems like we might be beginning to to get at least a glimmer of an answer. But if we go out and absolutely fall flat in our face at the weekend, those answers are washed away and it's back to, you know, we need we need wholesale changes again. And if that happens, that happens. That's absolutely fine. There was a comment I missed. And Tuan, Tuan asked me, oh, that's not the right, right one, but there's another one back up here from you, Tuan. And you asked, when is the, the voicemail podcast? I completely forgot to do the voicemail podcast yesterday. I do apologize. It's going to be up tomorrow. I'm going to get it done early tomorrow morning, Irish time. So when you wake up in Jamaica, uh, yeah, because you're behind us in Jamaica. When you wake up in Jamaica, it'll be there waiting for you tomorrow morning and you'll be able to watch it. And I'm, look, I'm looking forward. I haven't actually listened to your uh, to your voicemail, to any of the voicemails yet. I just completely, I switched off from football from Monday until today and didn't even watch any Champions League last night, which is very, very unlike me. And uh, I feel much the better from for it. And to be honest with you, I probably wouldn't have done this podcast until tomorrow because I was enjoying taking a break from football. Only the Graham Potter stuff r- dragged me back in this morning, uh, back into it again. So, um, but uh, yes, thank you so much for reminding me. The voicemail podcast will be up. And for those of you who do not know what I'm talking about with regards to the voicemail podcast, um, the voicemail podcast is this. You can leave a voicemail on speakpipe.com for, forward slash for the love of pomegranate pod. And we will read out your voicemails and I will do it tomorrow morning. Um, it will be pre-recorded. And it will be uploaded. Um, but please leave your voicemails if you do wish to have a say on anything that's going on at the moment. I will discuss it with you from uh, an Aston Villa point of view. So excellent stuff, guys. Thanks so much for, for joining us this evening. And um, uh, thank you so much to for... Uh, Thank you so much for, um, for joining us tonight. We will be back with the Team Sheet Tantrum on 
Saturday. Uh, Paddy, uh, I hope Paddy will be back by then. Uh, if not, I will be here to join you guys and to go through the team sheet tantrum. I will be also do a post-match uh, at the weekend as well. So stay tuned for that. The Voicemail Podcast will be out tomorrow. And until then, everybody, stay safe, stay happy. And until Saturday, all that's left to say is up the villa. Up the villa. Podcast Network.